lovely, more lovely than we can begin to imagine. Your beauty, your majesty illuminates all of heaven. We come to you tonight, Father, pulling away from whatever this day was like, from the busyness. For some of us, it may have been struggles to overcome. For some of us, it may be issues that touch and hurt our hearts from maybe things that have been done to us or disappointments about others or even ourselves. Some of us may be having physical struggles, financial struggles. But Father, we know that you know where each one of us is that's either here present or is watching online. And we're trusting tonight that not just through the short time of worship, but through the Word of God under the anointing of the Spirit of God, that you will reach into our hearts, our minds, and you will bring the comfort, the peace, instruction, maybe even correction that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And so, Father, we open our hearts to you tonight. Hearts that are thankful for all that you've done for us. Grateful for the grace that you have lavished upon us. Thank you for the hope that you've set before us. And tonight we ask you to help us to lift our eyes up off of the circumstances of our life and set our eyes upon you and on our Lord who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And you who have begun a good work in us, you will complete it until the day of Christ. For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power through the Holy Spirit that works in us. So, Father, tonight we offer ourselves, we open our minds, our hearts, and give our attention to your Spirit. And we're trusting and believing that everything that will be done tonight will be in accordance with your will. And for that we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome tonight. Glad that you're all here. Those of you that are physical here, those that are watching online, we're so glad that you're here tonight. I was just thinking during worship that I don't know how people go through a week just trying to go from Sunday to Sunday. That tells me that they're confident they can handle on their own. I know I can't. And there may be times I can't be here or just sometimes. I just remember times we were when I was a lawyer in Worcester, hour away come home, feed the kids, and he'd always had supper ready. And then it was just, oh, I don't know whether I can make it tonight. But when you build a habit, then that's the default place you go to when you question it. And I don't think we, I know we never came on a Wednesday night, as tired as we were, that we didn't leave much better than when we came. Strengthened, because you're strengthened in the spirit. And tonight will be no, no exception, so... So glad that you've tuned in, so glad that you're here tonight. You have a special treat tonight. 
because you're going to be ministered tonight by one of our elders, Gordon Udall. Gordon taught with me for many years in the School of Ministry. He's an excellent teacher. Uh, he's taught here before on Wednesday night, and there's just been something stirring in his heart. So without any further ado, Gordon, would you come on up and minister to the people? Thanks, Pastor. You bet. Can you hear me? Am I on? Yes, sir. Oh, beautiful. Praise God. You're all looking good, those of you I can see without those lights. Did they change those lights? They're bright. Maybe it's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That's got to be what it is. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for praying over the night, Pastor. It's right on my heart uh, that uh, we just yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I can teach you nothing. I, 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 it's not my style to try. Um, but I know the one who lives in me and lives in you can teach us all. And so our plan tonight is to let him do that. And uh, the, the message on my heart is big. It's bold. It's probably three different four weekly nights of, <laughs> of word, which we're going to compact into 45 minutes or so, thereabouts. So we're going to need your help to do that. So let's pray again. I appreciate Pastor praying, but I, I just need to, to sort of refresh that for my own uh, self and for you that we ask you, Lord, as the teacher, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth tonight, that you would take the, the words that, that you have put in my heart and you would speak them out, that you would open the ears of the hearers and the hearts of the believers to receive the word that you have for us tonight. And that what gets done tonight is all about you and all about your glory and about building your kingdom. Um, we, we sanctify this night. We set it apart to be a holy night, a night for you. And so we thank you for blessing this time that we have together and that you would open the word to us in a way that, you, that we have never seen it before because your word is living and never changes but it always refreshes. We thank you for blessing this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have a title tonight, and the title of the message is Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. Yeah, I like that. Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. And if we can get our, our text up there, our, uh, our key scripture, Sharon, would be... Uh, taken out of 1st Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 and by the way uh, this is Bible study night if you have your Bibles uh, I would encourage you to open them to 1st Peter chapter 1 we're going to study pretty much that entire chapter tonight and we're going to see about this joy unspeakable and full of glory so here's the verse whom having not seen speaking of, of Jesus you have not seen him but you love him and 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 yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Describing the church that the, uh, the author here, Peter, is, has written to, and he's saying, you, you, you love this Jesus, and you've never even seen him. Peter, of course, had seen him in the flesh and had seen him crucified and raised from the dead. So, so here's a church that hasn't seen him, and yet they are rejoicing with joy, and it's a weighty joy. It's full of glory. It's not, it's not temporal. It's awesome. 
And uh, so, so let me ask this of you guys, and this is a rhetorical question. Don't answer, don't shout out. I know typically I like to do that, but not on this question. This one's between you and God. Does this describe you? Where is your joy as a Christian? Is it like this, inexpressible? Is it full of glory? Is that, is that you? Can others see this joy in you? How, how about as a church? Where, where are we as a church? Do we, do we as a church exude this kind of joy? When you walk in here, are you impacted with the power of the joy of the Holy Ghost when you come in here? Can, can the world see it or are we hiding it under a bushel? It's important to think about these things because this is how we should be, right? So how would you describe your joy? And, and, and what do you anchor on? What is your joy fueled on? Has God healed you? supernaturally, that can bring joy. Has he delivered you from, from a bad addiction and set you free? That, that can bring joy for sure. Has, has he blessed your bank account? Has he filled your 401k despite the direction the stock market is taking these days? Right? Has he, has he done any of these things for you? Has he reconnected you with a family member? Those are worthy of joyful re, re, uh, and refreshing and, and sharing the good news with, with your friends and, and, and your brothers and sisters. But let me, let me suggest this to you. As much as those are driven by God and, and delivered by God and supplied by God, every one of those things, physical healing, deliverance from addictions, financial gain, if you will, they're, te- they're temporary. They're about this life. They're about the things on this earth. So why, yes, rejoice, and yes, ask the Father for such things, and yes, celebrate them when they come. It's, it's these things that we look for to bring our joy are, are just, just temporary things. And if that's all we see in our Christianity, we have missed the mark. And we're going to see that in the Scripture. Why is this not important? Well, it's not, I mean, why is this important? Let me say that correctly. It's important because this is not about you. Having this joy is not about how you go through life on this earth. Having this joy is about reaching the lost. It's about having something that draws people in who desperately need this joy. That's why it's important. Because we need to walk in that joy and we need to exude that joy everywhere we go, whether we're here in the sanctuary, in the workplace, at home, at the ballpark, wherever we might be. Let's take a look at Luke Chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11, a very familiar Christmas scripture that we celebrate at Christmas time. This is how the angel announced it. He said, And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, this is the shepherds, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This joy that we have, this joy unspeakable, is not just for the church, it's for all people. And so it's very important that we see this joy and we live this joy and we exude this joy. I mean, if you look around at what the world is looking for, where are they looking for their joy? They're looking forward in, in, in addictions, in alcohol, in drugs, in sex. They're, they're looking forward in, in their favorite 
professional football team who had a 20-year dynasty, and then they don't. And, then, <laughs> and they're looking forward, and you know, why do you go so passionately into your hobbies? Why do you go so passionately into your pastimes? Um, why, young people, are you so dependent upon having social media give you positive responses? Why is that so important to you? You're hungry for joy. You're hungry to be filled. You're hungry to, for something that's real inside of you. It's crazy when you see cold-hearted people who can rob from their neighbors and, 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 and steal from anybody or, or, or go and shoot people in a school or sell kids for gain. I mean, awfulness out there in the world. But this joy is for all people. And it's so important that we as the church exude this joy because this is the only place where the world will find it. All right, so what about this joy? Let's get context. I told you to open to 1 Peter chapter 1. I will do the same. And we're going to go through this in detail. And because it's Bible study time, we're going to take some time and I'll, I'll share with you some things that I've seen in this uh, um, study of mine uh, the, and what the Lord has showed me here. And I'm going to show you some tips when you're reading the Bible to help you. You know, if you get up in the morning and you do your Bible reading and you look at the Word of God, it's very easy to breeze through, especially these introductory phrases, and think, all right, let's get through the introduction and get to the meat of this so I can go to work, right? You can be very lazy when you go into the Word. And it's important for you to purpose and set aside some time to really think deeply about the words that you're, you're reading and uh, so we're going to go through this. First of all, this is Peter. First Peter, who wrote this? So, so think about that. Peter wrote this. Think about that apostle, you know, that, that wild man who was out there with Jesus and gave up his fishing and, and followed after Jesus and did some amazing things with him, saw some amazing things. One of the top three on Jesus' staff. This is the guy who wrote this. Now, he didn't write it alone. Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. So he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit to write this, but this, this, there's some authority in this name, Peter, right? You, you know, when you pick up the word First Peter, don't go, oh, well, that's just the next one, the next one's Second Peter, the next one's... No, it's, it's Peter, the Apostle Peter. He's writing this. And so know who, who's, who's got this. You see this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. So he's writing to somebody. Who is this? People in the churches of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But what are pilgrims of the dispersion? Well, pilgrims are, are basically strangers in the land. They're, 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 they're foreigners or aliens. They're, they're, it's not their hometown. They're in a different place. And the dispersion are people who have been pushed out of their normal place of living or where they grew up and had to leave coerced to leave, probably because of their faith. So, so, so Peter is writing to these different towns where believers have been pushed out, persecuted, and found another place to live, and they're strangers in that land. And it's important to recognize that and say, well, what does that mean to me today? Well, it's not going to be long if it already isn't here today when you and I will be strangers in this land. Because we believe there's a God, because we believe that God created everything, because we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, so on and so on and so on, that makes us strangers in this land. Now, thankfully, we haven't been in a situation where we have to be dispersed and go to some other land, praise God, and I don't think that'll ever happen in this country. 
but nonetheless, you're going to feel like strangers. And so, so Peter is writing to exhort these people who have obviously been through a very challenging time. So, so they've lived through intense persecution. Now, now look at how he describes these. Verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. These people are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you read that and go, okay, what's the point? I'm moving on. It sounds a little bit confusing. He accused Paul of writing confusing things. I think some of Peter's writings sometimes are a little bit awkward, but what an amazing statement he has here about these believers. And by the way, put yourself in this description. Peter reminds them and us of who we are, chosen by God the Father, so that we can be his children. We've been chosen by God. God chose us, right? That's exciting stuff. And that means we were elected. And according to the foreknowledge, he always knew that we would ascribe to, receive, and accept the price that Christ paid for our salvation, that we would believe that God raised him from the dead. And, And in so doing, we would be washed clean by the blood, sprinkling of the blood, we would be washed clean by the blood. And as we are clean by the blood, now the Holy Spirit can come into us because now we are children of God again. And, and then once clean, we are now sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. And once again, we're able to be obedient children unto the Father. That's what he's saying to us. That's, I mean, there's a lot right packed in that one verse that you can just chew on and, and meditate on. This is what binds us together, all of us here, all of us online, and all of us that he's writing to, that Peter's writing to. He's writing, and now, and now he, he, he goes on to, to express some, some more compliments in who we are. And, and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, and we'll keep reading, we'll go right on down through verse 9. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, whom you have not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, let's go back to verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. The little word and sometimes is important. We saw this in the, in the men's meeting, Gary, that, that, that you hosted with the video about fatherhood and how we can read a verse like this and gloss over it thinking that God is either Father or He's God. And depending on our situation, we want Him to be one or the other, but not both. You know, if we've fallen, if we've sinned, if we've, if we've fallen into uh, a habits that are wrong... We don't want to go to God about that. We want to go to a merciful Father who, who, who will forgive us of those things, right? Um, but when we want, we want, you know, demons to be cast out or healing to come or we want life to be changed, 
we go to God, God, you know, God, all-powerful God. But, but we need to recognize that who we have is both God, God Almighty, the one who spoke the world into existence, and we have Father. He is our Father, the one who wants to, to be Father to us and have us be his children. We need to recognize that both of these, and you'll see why as we go through the, the rest of this. And then it says, he has begotten us again. When was the first time we were begotten? Sometimes these little words make a difference, right? We, he has begotten us again. Well, when was the first time? It was when we were in Adam and Eve. So when God made Adam and God made Eve, he made all of mankind, and we were in in the, the, head, the covenant head, if you will, Adam and Eve, and from him all of us became. So he, we, were, we were children of God when we were in Adam and Eve, and then we had the fall. We were no longer children of God, um, but now he has begotten us again. So that's good news. We'll talk more about that in, in the coming scriptures. How did he do this? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Right? Verse 4 to an inheritance, and this is really where you need to put your focus, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the living hope that we have. We have an inheritance. It's stored up for us. God is preserving it for us. He's helping us to get it, to get there. He wants to see us there. It is done for us in, the, in Christ. So we have this inheritance, this living hope that we can hold on to regardless of the fact that we're sojourns or strangers in a land, regardless of the fact that we've been pushed out of the place we live in and we're now somewhere else, regardless of the circumstances on this earth, this hope does not change. It's a focus on the everlasting it's exciting to know that, that God is keeping us and holding us there. And when we see that we have this everlasting inheritance in heaven, in the presence of Almighty God, and the presence of our Father, everything on this earth becomes very, very small. As big as it may be, everything in this earth becomes very, very small. So in this, verse 6 and 7, in this you greatly rejoice. Again, now for a little while, maybe you've been grieved by various trials. Maybe. I'd say all of us have been grieved by various trials on this earth. I mean, it's not easy sometimes. And there are hard days. And there are things that go with that. So we have to learn how to keep our joy in the midst of our circumstances. There are plenty of times when you're going to be crushed, pushed down, saddened, grieved, overwhelmed, distraught. So much so that even the little things of the day really annoy you. But it doesn't have to be that it's your full disposition. That joy, that inner joy, that, that inner witness. We talked about joy that's full of glory. Why is it glorious? It's glorious because it's driven by the Holy Spirit who is the evidence. He is the witness within you of these truths. And when you have that Holy Spirit stirring inside of you, burning inside of you, confirming inside of you where you're going what your inheritance is, you can power through anything. You can power through anything. So it's in this you greatly rejoice. So, so much so that the genuineness of your faith is praise and honor 
and glory to God. Just the genuineness of your faith as you secure and hold on to and stand firm on your faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for you, that alone brings glory and honor to the Father, and he is well pleased when you do that. So there's so much in there that you can unpack and so much you can go. So, so, so verse 8 and 9 is the ones we've already read about rejoicing and having this joy unspeakable, inexpressible. Um, why? Because God loves you. You believe in your salvation. You know the price he paid for you. And and you're so full of joy, you cannot even explain it. I mean, if you got up with these truths in your heart every day and you went to work with these concepts in your mind and and, and people go, oh, stock market's down again. Oh, there's going to be a layoff. Oh, you're this and that. You you have this joy bubbling over and you almost want to laugh. So that's, that's nothing compared to what I have. Nothing. And they're going to look at you and say, well, what do you have? Well, let me tell you, it's not what I have, it's who I have. And his name is Jesus. Do you want to meet him? So this joy is so important to have regardless of the circumstances because you're once again a child of the Almighty God. Your sins have been taken away. The punishment of your sins, death has been paid. The blood of Jesus has sanctified you. And the Holy Spirit can once again abide in you. And again, it's that Holy Spirit that abides in you, that gives you that inner witness that says, yes, this is true. A conviction that nobody can take away. And you have to refresh yourself in that because that witness isn't always burning inside of you. It's not always, you know, bubbling up in your bones in such a way that you have to express it out, but you have to refresh yourself in it. You need to always have oil in your lamp so you're ready. So... So inexpressible joy and that full of glory part. I, uh, I remember the first time I got to go to Israel in, uh, on business. And, and so I took a half a day and I, I did a tour of Jerusalem. It was a secular tour and I was by myself. But one of the things I remember most on that first trip to Jerusalem was at the top of the hill and overlooking the Wailing Wall, there was in this glass case a big... Um, candelabra, uh, you know, like the, the, the candlestick in the, in, the, in the tabernacle of Moses. And there was an inscription on there, and I don't remember all that it said, but one thing it said in the beginning was, may the Shekinah glory never leave this place. That weighty glory of the Holy Ghost, may it never leave Jerusalem. May that Shekinah glory, that weighty presence of the Holy Spirit, never leave the temple that he lives in now. That's you. And that's me. Let him never leave, but let him burn brightly so that others can see him and be drawn to him. So that's a glorious and wonderful message. So, so we see that. And then the next verses we're not going to read tonight, uh, verses 10 through, through 12. But, but, but Peter talks about this, this great news that you have received, this salvation. And he talks about the prophets of old who prophesied of this, not knowing who they were speaking to, but now we realize they were speaking to us and about whom they were speaking, it was Jesus. Things which angels dared to look into and couldn't, yet now we can see them plainly. This is a glorious joy that we have. So let's go now to verse 13. Here the tone changes just a little bit. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hold it right there. Gird up the loins of your mind. 
How many of your minds have loins? <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> I don't really know what that means. <laughs> but I'm not going to go there any further <laughs> because I can see I can get myself in trouble. No, it, it, gird, up, gird up is an expression that means get ready for battle. Get ready. Get ready to go, whether it's an athletic event or go to war or you've got to run a message from Sparta to Athens. You've got to gird up. So, so, of course, in those days they wore robes and what they would do, because the robes were you know, hanging down and in their way, they would they'd sort of wrap those robes through their legs and, and tie them up in such a way that they would not be in the, in the way of their action. They had to go. They had to fight. They had to run. So they had to gird up the loins so that they could be fully... Um, effective in whatever it was they had to do. It wasn't a casual mode. This was an action mode. And so girding up the laundry of your mind simply means, look, get ready in your brain. Because of these truths, there's going to be a battle, and the battlefield's in your mind. So gird up the loins of your mind and hold fast to, to what, what you have been told and what you have been taught, knowing that the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, has been given to you. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, as obedient children of God. Here's an interesting thought. Only Adam and Eve were equipped to be obedient children. All of the children after Adam and Eve could not be obedient children. Why? Because... When Adam and Eve fell, they fell under the sway of the wicked one. And the Holy Spirit, who gives them the power to be obedient, departed from them. Adam and Eve had the ability to be obedient. But they chose not to. Let's look at Romans 6.16. Let's, let's unfold this a little bit. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Adam and Eve in the garden, you know the story, we're not going to go there. They looked at the temptation, they looked at the deceit that the devil offered them, and, 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 and Eve was tempted, and Adam was there with her, and he chose to disobey. And in making that choice, he now became a slave or became under the sway of the wicked one. Now, God had already told him, God and Father of Adam had already told him, you know, if you eat this fruit, in dying you will die. So it's not that God got all hopping mad and threw a curse down Adam. Adam drew it on himself. God said, if you eat it, you'll die. What does that mean? That means the source of life, the Holy Spirit, will be extracted from you, and now eventually your body will die. And so in dying, being separated from the source of life, then you're going to die physically. So by making that choice to disobey, this is the consequences. So now all of our moral goodness on this world, outside of Christ, all of the things that we do that we think are good, that are, that are right, that are just, all of the things we, we think we're good citizens on the earth, all of that is this filthy rags. We rejoice in our own righteousnesses in this world, but God is angry. We have sinned and we need to be saved. And I want to remind you of that. Let's go to Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6. 
You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Now, that in itself sounds like good news, right? That, that he remembers you in his, in his ways and, and, you, and he's doing righteous. But what does it say? He says, but, but, but indeed you are angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and indeed we need to be saved. Next verse. But we all, like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So after the fall, as bright as we thought we could be, God is angry with us. No matter how good your works are, no matter how good you live on this earth, no matter how much you avoid the, the amazing amount of sloppiness that's out there, you're still as filthy rags and God is still angry with you. Unless, of course... You are in Christ. But the good news that we just celebrated, that, 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 holy, that holy celebration of, of, of joy that we have, that glory that we have, is because now God has chosen us to be in him again. He has given us his Holy Spirit, which now enables us to obey him. So we're no longer slaves of sin, manifested in our former lust, but now again, once again, we are obedient children of God. That's good news. So let's see. In, in go to First Peter uh, chapter one and verse fifteen, and see what what we should be like as a result. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Okay, I, I, I'm kind of losing some of you now. I can see. What happened to all that joy? <laughs> Where's that joy unspeakable and full of glory? You want me to be holy? Because God is holy? As it is written? It's written in Leviticus 11.45. I don't know if you have that, Sharon. Yeah, you do. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. It's that verse, and there's three or four others in Leviticus. And in fact, it's throughout the Bible. Be holy. Why be holy? Well, because God our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is holy because Jesus, the head of the church, he showed us how to live holy when he walked on this earth. The Spirit of Christ who now lives us is the Holy Spirit, right? Because we were made in the very image and likeness of a holy God, because we were once again children of a holy Father, we ought to live as holy, right? Doesn't it make sense? But, 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 but what does this mean? I mean, you, you've heard all the stories of the holiness movement. You've heard all the stories of the legalism. You've, you've, you know, you've, you've seen stories of the monks who went off and lived by themselves so they wouldn't be tainted by the things of the world. What does holiness mean to us? In an oversimplified way, holiness means separation unto God. Separation under God. Being separated from the ways of the world unto the ways of the Father, being separated out from under the, the authority of the devil and under the authority to serve the Lord, Jesus. It means separated from the dominion of the flesh to be led by the Spirit. Separation unto God. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created holy. Now, now look, I understand the fall. That was a choice that he made. 
but they were created holy. So all the time they lived in the garden, uh, they were holy, separated unto God. There was no other creature like Adam. None. He was separate from all the other creatures. In fact, God pulled all the other creatures in front of Adam, and then there was none to be found like him. He was separated. And so God put him asleep, pulled Eve out of Adam, put her at his side, and he's like, that's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So Adam and Eve now are separated from all the other creatures. And, of course, they're separated unto God. They're, they're, they're made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So they were created unto God. Let's look at chapter 5 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Is God holy? Man was made holy. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Is mankind holy? In the day they were created? Yes, they were. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named himself. I put this verse in here because I wanted you to see the idiom, the expression, in his likeness after his image was his son Seth. To us, it's natural to think that a son would look like and be like his father, right? And the way they express that, in, in, in Moses expressed this as he wrote this in Hebrew, is in his image and his likeness. It's the same expression that God used when he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Can you see that? So, so God's intent when he created you is that you would be his child and that you would be holy. So holiness isn't something that's, that's like far out or something to aspire to or some lofty level that, that only certain saints get to. No, holiness is who you should be. Now, here on this earth, in this unholy earth, you should be holiness. They were naked and unashamed. They walked with God in the cool of the day. He named all the animals with God standing there. What Adam said, God said, so it is. So he and, he, he and Eve were separated from all the other creatures on the earth, and they were separated unto God as his children. That's holiness, separated unto God. you see that example? Does that make sense? I hope it's clear. Now, let's look at another one. Christ and his church, Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Next verse. Or not. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. I'm going to read that again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he, Christ, might sanctify. What does the word sanctify mean? Set apart. This is a sanctuary, this, this room that we're in tonight. This room is set apart for the worship and adoration of our God. When you come into this room, this room should be a sanctuary, especially when you're coming in for that specific purpose. Now, this room can be used for other things, but when it's time to serve God, this is a sanctuary. It's set apart. When you waltz in here at 
10 after 10 and the worship songs are just finishing up, you have defiled the sanctuary in a sense because this room is set apart and you've treated it like, oh, I'm just running late, no big deal. You need to be here on time, ready to worship in a humble and contrite heart toward the, toward the God that you're coming to worship because he's here to abide in the praises of his people. This room should be a sanctuary, a place where you can sense, physically sense the holy presence of God, abiding and living and enjoying the praises of his children. Sanctify. So Christ is going to sanctify and cleanse the church, not this building now. I'm talking about the body of Christ, who is the church. Cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that, that he, Christ, might present her, the church, to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the weightiness of the glory. And so when he calls us to himself upon his return, he says, now that, bone of my bone when he walked on the earth, flesh of my flesh when he walked on the earth, and spirit of my spirit forever, because the spirit in him is the spirit in us. Here's another example. Saints, saints of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, set apart, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. That word saints, you know, that conjures up a lot of different meanings around here. If you grew up in a a Catholic environment or a liturgical environment, you think of the saints, the apostles up in the stained glass windows. No, but saints are just simply uh, holy ones. They're, They're followers of Christ. In fact, the word saint, the Greek word, the original text this was written in, of course, is Greek. That Greek word hagios is translated saint 61 times. It's also translated holy 161 times. Can you see the connection between being a saint and being holy? If you're a saint, you are holy. And so, so, so my point in going through all this is that we need to embrace holiness and pursue it because Hebrews twelve fourteen says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's important that we understand what it is and what it's not. It's not legalism. It's not piety. It's not holier than thou. No, but, it, but it's making that daily decision that you are going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, obey the commands of the Father, and put aside the things that get in the way of that. And that's just a constant uh, crucifixion of the flesh. As Pastor John said a couple weeks ago, it's emptying yourself of yourself so that the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit can flow through you. Look at Ephesians 4, 20 through 25. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct putting off the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Remember that battlefield place we talked about, girding up the loins of your mind? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you can put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Here and now. 
Let that start with us here and now. All right, so, so we've got this good news. We've got this joy inexpressible and full of glory. We've got the Holy Spirit living us. We understand now we can be obedient children of God. Life is good. We've got an inheritance waiting for us when we get to heaven, and we are excited. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17 as we continue on through the chapter. Remember, these letters were not written in chapter and verse. This is one contiguous thought, and we're only going to see the beginning of it tonight in this first chapter. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Go back to verse 17. All that good news, and now, Peter, you're telling me I have to be afraid of God. I have to fear God now? After all the things he did for me, and now that I've got all this locked up and secure and the Holy Spirit is in me, why? Why do I need to fear God? And, and, and let me say this. Pastor Michael did a wonderful job on the fear of the Lord a few weeks ago. You need to go back and listen to the lessons. And he talks a lot about the blessings that come from walking in the fear of the Lord. But I also want to say this. The word that's translated fear when you see the fear of God is not typically reverence, as we like to comfort ourselves in, but it's terror, to be afraid. We need to understand that he is both God and Father. And when we're talking about God, we need to have that sense of awe that's, that's so awful, so terrifying, that we need to know firmly who we are in Christ so that we can see him as Father. That's really, really important to our walk. We need to know what we have been saved from. We can't rejoice in our salvation if we don't know what we've been saved from. If we don't understand the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on all those who choose to disobey Him, choose not to follow Christ, there is a punishment coming. We need to realize the price that God paid, the precious blood. I love the song Pastor Ray and the team sung tonight, I'll Never Know How Much It Costs to see my sins on that cross. You, you have to realize the wrath of God that's coming for you was poured out on Him. He's, he's an awesome God, a powerful God, all-knowing God. Yes, He's Father. Yes, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. But He's God. And you have to have that reverential fear that goes beyond just a respect. Goes beyond just a, an understanding of his position as creator. Oh, that's nice. Is that like president? What does creator mean? No, he's God. And we need to really understand that because without that, we, we, we lose the intensity of this salvation that we have. And then we lose our joy. We lose our desire to obey him. And we fall back into the ways we were once before. Knowing this, that God will judge without partiality, according to our works. 
And when he judges, you want him to look at you. And I want him to look at me and say, yes, Jesus washed you clean with his blood. Yes, you chose to obey him as Lord. Yes, you followed my commands. Yes, you repented when you fell and got back up again. Yes, you forgave when you were sinned against. Yes, you loved one another. Yes, you loved your brothers. I am judging those works as I see my son in you. So we don't have to be afraid of his judgment unless we choose not to obey him. Because remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They were not afraid of God. They walked with him in the cool of the day, yet they knew who he was. But once they chose to disobey, they were afraid of him in a negative sense. We need to be afraid of him in a positive sense so that we continue to obey. We, we can't get into heaven by our works. Don't hear me the wrong way. We, we are in heaven by our faith in Christ Jesus and by faith alone. There's no question about that. We have our salvation. But our salvation is evident by the obedience that we bring. Our joy is evident by the Holy Spirit that's in us. And by our leading and following, Him leading and us following the Holy Spirit, we can now once again obey Him. So there's a fear element in here in this great news, this great joy that says we're joyful because we've been redeemed from the wrath of God. And that wrath is still there if we choose to disobey him and walk away. Does that make sense? It's weighty. But it's something to meditate on and remind yourself of because as the more you do that, the more you cherish the salvation that you have in Christ and the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Let's, let's, let's go to chapter, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 22 of 1 Peter. We'll kind of round out this bit of the, of the letter, and then we'll have some summary points. So here we've got to see the gospel. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart. Next verse. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Next verse. Because all fla- flesh is as grass, the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the glass wither- grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. Next verse. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. What is he saying here? Look, he's saying saints, pilgrims of the dispersion, those of you who have been oppressed, those of you who are going through challenges today, understand this, that this time on this earth is but a hand's breath. It's small. A hand's breath is is the breadth of a hand. It's essentially a measurement of your four fingers. It's used when you read through the description of making the furniture in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, some of the framing around the furniture would be a hand's breadth and width, three to four inches depending on the size of your mitt. Your life is a hand's breadth, that big in the span of eternity on either side of that, your life on this earth. It's so small. And all the challenges that we go through in this earth are even smaller than that because they're temporary. They're a year, two years, three years, however long you might struggle with certain things. But your entire life on this earth is but a hand's breadth, as as the psalmist says in Psalm 39. So, so the gospel here is that our souls have been purified and it's evident through our obedience to the truth and it's only made possible by the Spirit of God who came to live with us and he couldn't come to live with us unless we'd been redeemed, washed by the blood, sanctified by him and now he's living in us, born again 
by the seed, the word of God, the everlasting seed, and the everlasting new birth. Summary points. All right. Look, this message is titled, Joy Inexpressible and Full of Glory. And yet, as I went through this letter with you, there are things that, you, that are weighty to think about. Walking in holiness, living in holiness, living in the fear of the Lord. Not just chasing after the glim and the glam and the glitter, but really walking it out the way God wanted us to walk out. So, so, so first point is to anchor our joy solely and completely on our redemption and inheritance with all the saints. That's ours. And also anchor your joy on, on the same for others who you see come into that kingdom with us. So as you share the gospel, those of you who brought someone to the Lord, there's no greater joy than to see someone change their lives, repent, turn, and begin to follow Christ. That's real joy. John talked about in the gospel of John that you should bear fruit. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Remember John 15? And he said the fruit you should bear is fruit that should remain. Well, heaven and earth are going to pass away. Is there any fruit in heaven and earth that's going to remain? No. The fruit that remains are the saints of God who will have this everlasting inheritance with us. That's the fruit we need to bear. We need to bring others like us into the kingdom of God. And Christ, the head of the church, is depending on us, the church, to get that done. So anchor your joy on things that are everlasting. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And, and, and here, the context is that, that the, Jesus, the kingdom of God, is walking city to city, proclaiming the good news, and he's sending out his disciples ahead of time into the city in which he's going to go. And he, and he commissioned them with a responsibility. He said, now go into the next city and tell them that the kingdom of heaven is, has come near to you and heal the sick there. And so he sent out his 12, and then, and then they came back, uh, accomplishing their mission, rejoicing, and then, and then he sends out 70 more. And he says the same thing to them. Go out and tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near to you and heal the sick there. He's saying the same thing to us. The kingdom of heaven are those who are subject to the king. The king is Jesus. And if you are obedient to the king, you are part of his kingdom. You are the kingdom of heaven. And when you go out into the marketplace or the workplace or wherever you go, he's saying the kingdom of heaven has come near to somebody next to you in that checkout line. And if you sense that they're they're, they're heavy if they're weeping or they're, there's something agitated about them. Be a blessing to them. Tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And heal the sick. Lay hands on them. Pray for them. Bless them with a $20 bill to pay the groceries. Whatever you need to do. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven has come near to them. So in, in verse 17, here it says, The 70 return with joy. I'm talking about joy, right? Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Man, these 70 were partying, man. This stuff works. We went out. The demons fled. People were healed. Glory to God. Look at the power on me. And, and Jesus looks at them and smiles. Verse 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. I give you the authority. I give you the authority. Trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what we need to rejoice on. 
And as we rejoice on that, as we meditate in that, as we follow the leading of the Spirit in that, all the other things that we pray for, stand in faith for, believe God for, and are justifiably so to do so, all those things will be added unto us. But if we go for the things of this world, forgetting the things that are everlasting, we will be frustrated, miserable, and joyless people. Let's keep reading because there's some interesting uh, phrases after this. In, in, in verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Okay, now let's see what Jesus has joy about. He rejoiced in the Spirit. First of all, that's where our joy should come from, the Spirit, not from material things. He rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All these things have been delivered to, be my, to, have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one whom the Son will reveal to him. And I like this, verse 23. He turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which, which, which see these things. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you have seen and have not heard it. So keep your focus on the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then watch God work. Watch God work, and you will see many things. Yes, healing, deliverance, financial liberty, all those things are important to stand for, but there's no greater joy than building the kingdom and, uh, and, and seeing God's work and will be done. Third point, be holy, for God is holy. Decide daily. Don't give in to the temptations of the flesh that are contrary to God's commands and be equipped to obey as a child of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit within you. Be quick to obey. Listen to him always. Look to him. And if you're not finding that inner witness that says, do this or don't do that, look to the word. Always look to the word. Look to the word. Stand on those things. Do right. Separate yourself from the things of the world from a standpoint of obeying those things of the world. Don't be out of the world. <laughs> and follow after the Lord and do what he tells you to do. Look at Romans 8, 12 and 17 as we, as we wrap up here. Romans 8, verse 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, not by your willpower, not by your determination, not by your grit, not because Pastor John said so, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Remember we talked about Adam and Eve being children of God. We talked about the redemption that we have in Christ. Now we are able to be children of God. If you are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So there's evidence there that you have accepted these truths and you're walking in them. You're following after him. These are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself. Oh, this is so important. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And indeed, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's that joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the good news. Joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, how did Christ suffer? He suffered by putting down his flesh. Although he was tempted in every way as we are, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. We also suffer with him by putting down our flesh and following after the Spirit of God so that we will be glorified together with him. He is 
both God. So, so, so the last point is fear God. He is both God and Father. Look at 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So keep that in mind. Remember and reflect. Yes, he's God. Yes, we are a friend of God. Yes, he is our Father. Yes, he cares for us. Yes, he loves us. But yes, he's God. Don't lose sight of that. On the other hand, many people have grown up, particularly in this region, afraid of God, fearing that he's the big old man with the ugly stick and he's going to beat you into hell unless you obey. That's not our God either because he is our Father. And he loves us so much that he sent his only son. The price of our salvation is so dear. So we have to recognize both. Keep in balance. Carry water on both shoulders. Realize who he is. So I'm going to give you five R's, uh, six R's, seven R's. I'm going to follow a Pastor Ray here where he likes to do the alliterations. I'm going to give you seven R's to help you walk this out. Number one, remember who we are without Jesus. Number two, recognize who we are now in Christ Jesus. Number three, rehearse the sacrifice God gave to us to be in Christ Jesus. That's why communion is so important. We need to rehearse and remember the price paid, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. Rehearse. Number four, respond by obeying Christ Jesus. Number five, repent. If you ever knowingly act in disobedience to Christ Jesus, repent. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and to restore you because he ever lives to make intercession for you to our Father. Number six, reflect on the wrath of God toward those who reject or disobey Christ Jesus. And number seven, rejoice with unspeakable joy, full of glory that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Amen. All right. So I expect to see some heads lifted high, some joy in your eyes, some, some, some zip in your step, because you know who you are in Christ. You know what you have. You know where you're going. And you know who your Father is. You know who is in you to lead you. And no matter what the circumstance is, I want to see this church hopping with that kind of love for one another as obedient children to God. That's his heart's desire. That's our heart's desire. And we're, it's up to us to do it. And we can do it. Father, this is an amazing message. As we bow our heads and, and give you thanks, we thank you for the reminder that you sent your son to die for us. And we thank you for the refreshing of what that means to those of us who receive this salvation. And Lord, we pray that we never lose sight of that. But make it grow big in us. Make it grow big in us so that we can be bold about it to others. For it's your desire that none should be lost, that none should fall but all should come to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And your desire is that all of us should walk in the glory and the joy that's unspeakable, inexpressible because of the inheritance that we have with you and the sonship and daughtership we have with you. So stir these words in us always. Help us to sharpen one another, remind ourselves of one, with one another of these truths always. And we look forward to the leading that you have for us to do the work you've called us to do on this earth as we go forward from here. Now, there may be some who are...